0: your hair down take a breath look into the mirror at yourself don't you like you
1: because i like you good morning my name is jim johnston and my pronouns are he and him i'm a member of your board of trustees and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to worship with us this morning at the unitarian universes congregation Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors, for it is upon their land that we reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty Minister, as well as by a very talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. Boundless appreciation goes out to our many lay leaders and volunteers. Your incredible efforts and dedication help keep us connected. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whomever you love, Whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests who are joining us this morning. We encourage you to fill out the visitors form in the lobby, or if you're online, to fill out the form there and connect with others in the virtual or the in-person social hour that'll follow the service, where we can get a chance to meet and welcome you. Finally, for those who are attending today at the Owen Brown Interface Center, please take a moment to silence your cell phone and any other electronic devices. I have a number of announcements for this morning. Uh, starting with the pledge drive, it was last Sunday we launched this year's pledge drive, and we're inviting each other to pledge meaningful, meaningfully for UUCC um, and our community. If you've already made your pledge, thank you. If not, you can complete the online pledge form, or if you're in the sanctuary in person this morning, you can complete the pl- paper pledge form, which is in the, in the back of the sanctuary. Please feel free to reach out to the pledge team, and you can reach them at pledge at uucolumbia.net if you have any questions. The board of trustees is hosting a series of congregational conversations to practice visionary deep and future oriented thinking together. You're invited to stay after the service this morning and join us in the 30 minute small group virtual discussion It is only virtual you're in the sanctuary. get um, up to get online, um, which will be facilitated by board members. The questions we are engaging with this morning are very topical to our pledge drive, which is how can we create a culture of stewardship at UUCC? If you're interested in attending, please stay after the service and you will be placed in a breakout room to discuss that question. A reminder that the UUCC nominating committee and is inviting all members of UUCC that are interested in serving in leadership positions, either on the Board of Trustees, the nominating committee, or the endowment board, to indicate your interest by 5 p.m. today. And finally, on um, the announcements I have written down are is the board of trustees our next meeting will be uh, this Tuesday March 8th at 6:30 on Zoom. The agenda topics include the pledge drive, the group relations workshop committee's recommendation for a facilitator for the congregation-wide workshop that'll be happening later this spring, a process for handling advocacy requests that come to the board, and we discuss last month's open question which centered around environmental justice. The agenda and all the materials can be found on the UUCC website. All are invited to join us to listen in. And finally, we have a special live announcement from Robin Slaw, our our Director of Religious Education. Robin?
2: My name is Robin Slaw. I'm your Director of Religious Education and I use the pronouns she and her. And good morning again. Y'all, I'm really excited today today is our first re class in the building since march of 2020 yes Woo! yes yes kelly and i haven't seen many kids in two years i mean we've been able to start some of our specialty classes we've had eighth grade eighth and ninth grade OWL running since the fall we started Middle School World Religions class in January and then moved to in-person in February. Y'all, when you see somebody in fifth grade and then you don't see them again until seventh grade, they kind of go from here to here and you don't recognize them, it's pretty, pretty amazing. I'm really grateful to be able to spend some time with our young people. They care so much about the world And they're willing to, they're willing to fight for change, fight for a better world for everyone. So I would like to invite you to consider hanging out with our kids. This year, we're concentrating on rebuilding community. So we're not even teaching curriculum. There's no lesson for you to prepare. It's just coming and hanging out with our children and showing them that you are an adult that cares about them and are interested in them and want to get to know them. So please talk to me or Kelly after the service, send me an email, call me on the phone, whatever it takes, come and hang out with our kids because they're really amazing children. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Robin. Good morning, everybody. I'm Paige Getty, my pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am very privileged to serve as minister of this congregation. I'm here to welcome Liz and Brian Barrett up to the podium because our Stewardship Council last year set an intention of promoting generosity in the congregation throughout the year, not just when we're trying to raise money for a particular purpose. And so every month we invite someone to talk about why they are generous in investing in the congregation. And this month, you're gonna be lucky to hear a Generosity Minute every week, (laughs) starting with the Barretts. Thank you, Paige. I'm so incredibly
4: lucky to have been raised by loving parents and the Unitarian Church of Winchester, Massachusetts. In 1989, I married Brian, a second marriage for both of us, who soon became a born-again UU. We were active, award-winning members of the Annapolis UU Church. It stood for so much that is important to us. In 1998, we moved temporarily to San Diego, where we first met Paige, a most fabulous intern minister. (laughs) It follows that when our Annapolis church hurt us badly, we decided to come to Columbia to try Paige's church. I wish it hadn't taken so long.
5: We found a church here and a community that we immediately felt at home with. We straightaway joined the choir and soon signed the membership book just over two years ago. During the COVID period, the staff and volunteers have coped brilliantly. Although many of of you don't know us yet, we look forward to getting to know you when we return to in-person services and Sunday coffee hours. Living in, a, in Annapolis makes it hard for us to be physically involved in church programs other than the choir and as, as greeters. So making a financial contribution is one thing we can do to support this wonderful church. We're pleased to tell you that we have just increased our pledge for next year. just sent the form in yesterday. Thanks, UUCC.
6: I can see
3: Thank you. Hello again. A couple quick reminders for those of you who are here in the sanctuary, if you need a hearing assist device, those are available from the sound booth in the back. And all of you in the room or online, if you wanna follow along in the order of service, it's available to you electronically using the QR code that will appear or the URL that you can probably find in the chat on Zoom. And uh, as Jim already said, if you're a guest, please don't forget to fill out that visitor form so we can stay in touch with one another. We will honor your personal joys and sorrows during the service this morning, late in the service. So please email those to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net or write them in the joys and sorrows book that's in the back of the sanctuary. And as you've already heard from Robin, we are bringing back our children's programming, running concurrently with worship beginning today for children ages kindergarten through fifth grade. So we invite you to stay for the whole service if you want to, or to go with Robin and Kelly after the time for all ages this morning. Thank you, as always, to all of the staff and volunteers who are working to make this service happen, both in front of and behind the camera. And a special thanks to the Chalice Rebels and to Vicki Beck for coming back today and performing again for us with some of the pieces we heard yesterday in Laura's ordination. Thank you all. And a very, very, very special welcome to my colleague, Reverend Joe Von Rue, who serves as minister of May Memorial UU Society in Syracuse, New York. Joe was born and raised in Ohio, has lived in states all the way from Florida to Washington, and is now settled with her husband Isaac in Pennsylvania from where she commutes to Syracuse. Yes. Joe is a. <laughs> Joe is a musician, playing the French horn and the ukulele. She loves animals and Unitarian Universalism and ministry with great passion. Once th- we knew that Joe was going to be coming to town this weekend for Laura Solomon's ordination, which we hosted here yesterday, she and I decided it would be great to plan a worship service together, since we both serve as solo ministers and miss the opportunities to collaborate with colleagues. So here we are. Thank you for being with us today. So this Tuesday, March 8th, is International Women's Day, which celebrates social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women and marks a call to action for accelerating gender parity. International Women's Day has been observed for more than a hundred years, a hundred years in which much progress has been made, In 2022, we have female astronauts and prime ministers. Schoolgirls are welcomed into universities around the world, and many women have real choices about work and family. There are more women in the boardroom, greater equality in legislative rights, and we see an increased critical mass of women's visibility as impressive role models in everyday life. And women are still not paid equally to that of their male counterparts. Women still are not present in equal numbers in business or politics, and globally women's education, health, and the violence against them is worse than that of men. According to the World Economic Forum, none of us will see gender parity in our lifetimes. Our children probably won't. Gender parity will not be attained for almost a century, is what they say. And it will never happen if we remain complacent and take no action. And so today, we join with others around the world in honoring International Women's Day 2022, for which the theme is Break the Bias. As the organizers remind us, whether it is deliberate or unconscious, bias makes it difficult for women to move ahead. And simply knowing that bias exists isn't enough. Action is needed if we are to meaningfully address gender disparity and make real change in the world. So, on this day, we are encouraged to make a difference, to think globally and act locally, to do our bit to ensure that the future for girls is bright, equal, safe, and rewarding. So, for our bit today, Joe and I have decided to personalize the, congregation, the conversation in a sort of dialogical way, reflecting on what our two experiences as girls and women have been like. There is much about the two of us, demographically speaking, that's pretty similar. We're both European-American, pale-skinned, cisgender women, married to cisgender men, formally educated, currently middle, upper-middle class. We share a lot of cis, het white privilege. And there is a multitude of women's experiences and stories that are not ours to tell. But mine and Joe's stories diverge significantly from each other's in a couple of critical ways. Most notably, the fact that Joe grew up in abject poverty, sometimes experiencing street homelessness, and also the fact that our two bodies, both our experiences in them and other people's responses to them, have been very different. And Joe and I share the conviction that it's the personal stories shared vulnerably and with integrity that are the entry point to addressing inequity, injustice, disparity, bias. We must actively, curiously seek out each other's stories and truly listen to those stories as one step in the effort to address our own biases and expand our perspectives. This takes effort and attention and vigilance. So that's what we offer today some of mine and Joe's personal stories about living in these bodies. These stories offer a glimpse into one way that women's experiences are unique, unique as women relative to other genders, but also unique from one woman to another. As you listen, you're invited to think about the body that you occupy and expand your understanding of how others' bodies and experiences are legitimately different from your own. That's how we address our biases and how compassion and empathy grow. So with that, I invite you to take a deep breath into your body, inhabit it fully, and open yourself to this experience.
4: Good morning. My name is Carla Gates and my pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am reading A Woman Speaks by Audre Lorde. Moon marked and touched by sun, my magic is unwritten. But when the sea turns back, it will leave my shape behind. I seek no favor untouched by blood, unrelenting as the curse of love. Permanent as my errors or my pride, I do not mix love with pity nor hate with scorn. And if you would know me, look into the entrails of Uranus where the restless oceans pound. I do not dwell within my birth, nor my divinities, who am ageless and half-grown and still seeking my sisters, witches in Dahomey wear me inside their coiled cloths, as our mother did, mourning. I have been woman for a long time. Beware my smile. I am treacherous with old magic and the noon's new fury, with all your wide features promised, I am woman,
3: and I am not white. Thank you, Carla. Will you all rise, in body or in spirit, and let's join our voices in speaking together our congregational covenant, these promises that we make and keep as best we can with one another. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now, before you take your seats, I invite you to greet one another briefly. This morning on Zoom, we're going to let you unmute and say hello. It's good to be together.
6: Good morning,
3: everyone. Good Morning. Hi. Morning. Good morning.
6: Morning. 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 Good Morning. Hi, Hi good morning, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Hi. Sorry, talking good Morning. 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 Hi Jim. Hi, Hi, Jim. You, Hi, Jim. Hi everyone. Hi, Jim. Hi, everyone. Hi Jen. Hello, Jim.
4: Good Every time I feel this way, this old familiar sinking, I'm gonna lay my troubles down by the water, where the river will never run dry. I'm going to let myself be lifted, I'm going to let myself
7: be lifted, I'm going to let myself be lifted, by and by, I'm going to lay my troubles down by the water, where the river will never run dry, it's been said. And I do believe, as you ask, so shall you receive. So take from me my troubles, give me sweet release, where the river will never run dry. I'm going to let myself be lifted I'm going to let myself be lifted I'm going to let myself be lifted Of hearts, with knowingness of my highest good, I am willing. I will do my part where the river will never run dry. Hallelujah. I'm gonna let my I'm going to let myself be lifted, I'm going to let myself be lifted by and by, I'm going to lay my troubles down by the wall. I'm gonna let myself be lifted, I'm gonna let myself be lifted by and by, I'm gonna lay my troubles down by the wall.
2: Thank you, us, Rebels, Woo. So a long time ago, I was young. <laughs> <laughs> and I was part of a pretty big family. There were four of us that were born within five years of each other. And we lived way out in the country. And we had a huge, big flat grassy backyard. And that backyard was superb for playing games. We played a lot of games in that backyard. I have a lot of fond memories. So my brother, next to me in age, his best friend was one of eight boys. And so their family of eight and our family, it was eventually five, but the four of us at the time, We'd get together a lot to play games, and one of our favorite games was tackle football. (laughs) Now, those of you who have brothers know, brothers don't care if you're a girl or boy, they tackle. But my sister and I were really fast, and we could dodge really well. So even though we were playing tackle football, I don't ever remember being tackled, and I'm pretty sure my sister was never tackled either. We were good at it. But one day, my mom happened to look out over the backyard, saw us playing tackle football, and came charging down to the backyard to say, what are you doing? Girls can't play tackle football. If you get hit in the breast, you'll get breast cancer. No more. (laughs) Well, we know now that getting tackled and getting hit in the breast doesn't give you breast cancer. But my mom had that bias at the time. And unfortunately, she came on so strongly to all of us that the boys really took that to heart and refused to let us play tackle football with them anymore. We tried flag football for a little bit, but none of us really enjoyed that as much. And pretty soon the boys stopped asking my sister and I to play with them all together. And that made me really sad because we had fun playing tackle football. And, you know, we were good at it. So we always scored more points for whatever team we were on. So in 1972, while I was in high school, we passed a law called Title IX. And Title IX prevents discrimination based on sex or gender in educational programs and activities. And we really needed it at the time, because at the time when I was in school, things weren't very equitable. Very, they were pretty, pretty different, drastically different for girls and boys. But after Title IX passed, if there were boys sports teams, the school had to allow girls to have sports teams. They had to allow girls to go to wood shop and learn how to saw wood and weld metal and metal shop. And then they had to allow boys to learn how to cook and how to sew. And things got better. But even today, there are women and girls who are suing schools and other organizations because there are still a lot of bias. And that's also true for trans people who are experiencing horrendous bias right now. So, My feelings got really hurt, and my sisters did too. When we were told we weren't allowed to play football, my mom had bias, and bias means when rules are unfairly applied to different people. So today, we're going to be talking about breaking the bias, and I want to teach you. I want to teach you emotion. So would you do this with me? When you hear the words break the bias, I want you to take your hands and go, break the bias. Okay, let's do it with me. Break the bias. All right, yell it out with me. Break the bias. Yeah, good. Thank you. You'll hear it later on, right? Yes. All right. So we're going to go to RE now. Yay, I'm so excited. <laughs> Everyone's gonna sing us out. Uh, Children that are here, you're gonna follow Miss Kelly back by the, the door there, and we're gonna go right next door to Sanctuary B, and parents, you can pick them up after the service is over.
8: I just want to thank you for having me and thank your minister, Reverend Page, who is just an incredible colleague. We are very lucky to have her as a colleague in our ministerial association, and she loves you very much, and I can tell that you love her very much. I wasn't following along, so I don't know my place. Here we are. I was born to a mother who had many undiagnosed mental health conditions, who did not quite understand how to be a mother. Because of the pressure put on her by her parents, she turned to food for coping with life and self-soothing. She taught this behavior to me at some very young age. Why wouldn't she want her daughter to have a way of self-soothing? I have never known a time when I was not fat. I know this because I was constantly being told by my grandparents that I was fat, and I even went as far as putting a lock on the refrigerator and freezer. My mother's weight and my weight were always sources for concern for my grandparents. I don't remember a time in my life when they didn't talk about my weight. The narrative I heard from my grandparents because of my weight and every other adult in my life is that I was a disappointment and would never amount to anything. They were ashamed of me because of my weight. I have one very vivid memory of a time when my sister and I were with my grandfather and we encountered one of his colleagues. And he came up and they were chatting a little bit. And then his colleague looked at my sister and I and asked who we were. And so my grandfather, a white man, very tall, fluffed up to his fullest height and said, this is my granddaughter, Laura, but did not mention me. And so the person who was with him said, and who is this?
3: And he deflated a little and said, oh, that's Laura's sister. I'm the older child in my family of origin with a brother who is three years younger than I am. As I recall my earlier childhood years, the most paradoxically vivid memory is that I was altogether unaware of my body. It was unremarkable, unimportant, essentially just a vessel to carry around my brain, not in and of itself a valuable aspect of my existence. My brother and his friends were active, athletic, rambunctious, playing outside all the time, And it's not that I wasn't allowed to do those things, but I simply wasn't interested, and no one encouraged me to do them. The default expectation was that girls played inside, doing quiet, nice things. So that's what I did. I don't know if you've noticed,
8: but kids are mean. Not only was I fat, I am and was a redhead. Many of you can appreciate redheads here, but children cannot. So I was a pretty bright, large target for bullying and hate. I remember one summer when I was attending Girl Scout camp, we were standing around inside the pool house waiting out a local tornado. It's something you do in Ohio in the summertime. (laughs) And we were all just kind of looking at each other, right? We didn't have anything to talk about at that time. And some people were scared. And one girl broke the silence by pointing at me and saying, why do your legs touch together? And what she was asking was, why isn't there a gap between my thighs? Did you know there are social expectations that women are to have a gap between their thighs? Then, when I just shrugged and tried to pretend I was invisible, all of the other girls laughed at me. They spent the entire rest of the week pointing out things about my body that were different from theirs and laughing at them. My belly, the fat rolls on my arms, my knees were kind of wrinkly because they also were fat. That week at camp was the first time I learned that my body was ugly and undesirable. Sure, People in life talked about my fatness, which was always mentioned in the context of what and how much I was eating. But now it seemed to me that the ridicule and hate was directed at my body, the place that housed my soul, the place that housed my very existence in this world. I learned at 10 years old that my body was something I should be ashamed of. And so the eating disorder continued.
3: I, on the other hand, was skinny. Not strong and wiry, not at all muscular, just skinny. But also, I was skinny, but I never in my life had a flat stomach, belly, I now understand that that's in part because I have such a short torso that there's limited room for all the stuff that needs to fit inside of it. (laughs) And that's the source of my very first memory of being self-conscious about my body. In middle school, in the changing room after gym class, another girl looking at my exposed skinny body with its belly pooch and saying, You look pregnant. And that self-consciousness would be reinforced in other ways over the next few years. I was the latest of the late bloomers among my peers, feeling awkward and weird and childish as all my friends' bodies were changing visibly, but not mine, because I didn't get my menstrual period until I was 15 and a half, the week before Christmas, my sophomore year of high school. Later, as I was finally growing out of that prepubescent body and as summer approached, my mother would tell me I needed to lose some weight before I put on a swimsuit. So that previously unimportant vessel for my brain was attracting more attention, unwelcome, discouraging attention. Only decades later, as a parent myself, would I recognize one of the lost opportunities of those years, that I was never taught and didn't learn on my own that my body itself could be a source of joy, of fun, of pleasure, of freedom. Will you join in singing now? We're going to sing two verses of If Every Woman in the World. Will you rise? of my younger adulthood contain lots of stories about embracing and exploring my own embodiment in more direct and sometimes arguably superficial ways, cutting my hair really, really short and later shaving it off in defiance of the expectations of Southern womanhood, getting a tattoo, not shaving the hair on my body, experiencing romantic physical connection with other people for the first time, which was a part of adolescence that I had skipped completely. And then, in my older young adulthood, married, having begun ministering here, I would put my body to its biggest test to date. Over the course of about five years, I would be pregnant four times, experiencing two miscarriages and birthing two children into this world. Those experiences expanded my awareness exponentially about the great wonders, beautiful, painful, disgusting wonders, of this body. In fact, one midwife trying to impress upon me the significance of what a pregnant body endures said once, if we didn't know you were pregnant, your vital signs right now would make us concerned that you were dying. By the time I turned 40, I had decided that living in a body may just be the very coolest thing about being human.
8: (laughs) Through my young adult life, I went through many transitions. I moved a lot, I went through a few relationships until my husband and I settled in Pennsylvania. Because of my eating disorder and coping mechanism, that food was for me. I gained a lot of weight during all of these transitions, and even more once we settled in Pennsylvania, because I did not like it there. To be fair, we moved to Pennsylvania from Washington State in Seattle, and that's a really big difference if you've ever been to the West Coast. (laughs) One morning, I woke up and I had this epiphany that it was really hard being fat. And because at the time that term was still negative for me, I decided that it was hard to be fat and miserable, and so I decided I would never be that way ever again. And so that day, in that moment, I started down a health journey of mild starvation and tons of exercise. Society teaches us, both men and women, and every gender, inclu- every gender possibility in between, that fat people are invisible and worthless. And so, after working a full-time job, I would then spend two to four hours at the gym every night, exercising, running, Zumba, swimming. I also began a couch-to-5K running program, which ultimately ruined my knees. And let me tell you about running as a fat person. Are there any runners here? All right. I hated running, but I did it. Because if I didn't run three miles per day, I could not maintain my weight loss. First of all, athletic clothing for fat people, we have very little access, and they are very small and very tight, because society and the fashion industry want us to bind up our fat bodies as if they are a burden. So you wrestle yourself into some tight running tights because they don't make running shorts for fat people, and you put on a regular cotton T-shirt because they also don't make athletic moisture-wicking shirts for fat people. I started running in my neighborhood where, and I am not kidding, people would actually come out on their porches and clap for me as I ran by their homes. If I were out running somewhere, where I encountered a thin runner, they had no qualms about running past me and saying... They would turn around and jog backwards like thin people do, and they would say some kind of demeaning comment like, way to take control of your life, or good for you for trying, or... My absolute favorite was when they would slow down and jog right next to me as if they were some kind of personal coach and say things like, you've got this, keep going, I won't let you give up. News flash, I wasn't planning on giving up anyway. I spent several years running and then competing in indoor triathlons with some of my friends, and I ran my first half marathon. I spent those years chasing a number on the scale. I woke up every morning and weighed myself desperately trying to get under 200 pounds. Do you know what fat people call that when you weigh less than 200 pounds? It's called Wonderland, right? Because then in the 100s, you'd laugh, but this is a thing that fat people chase. They chase this journey to Wonderland. If my weight did not decrease from the day before, I would spend the rest of the day uh, harming myself, not harming myself, beating myself up mentally. You know, what did you do yesterday? Why did you eat that extra tomato or some sort of ridiculous vegetable? I literally spent every moment of my life paying bills and trying to lose weight. And I did lose weight, I lost about 150 pounds. I felt like I was on top of the world. My body shape was much different. I was the thinnest I had ever been, around 200 pounds. But then the day I fell off my horse, jumping, I don't have time to regale you what it is like to be an equestrian in a fat body. That's a different sermon entirely. I landed squarely on both feet from about an eight-foot distance and immediately sprained both knees and torn ACL in the other. So, I couldn't exercise for months, and the weight came back on. And because I had never dealt with my food addiction, I was eating to cope with the fact that I was gaining weight, which is something that fat people do. Like, that's just a thing in our world, and maybe many thin people do, but that's not my story. I fell quickly into the spiral of binge eating and mentally, emotionally beating myself up about putting food in my mouth. As soon as I could, I went back to focusing my life on losing weight. I wonder how much time you consume thinking about losing weight, or the size of your body, or watching people on TV tell you that you need to lose weight. Why is it that fat people aren't allowed to just be happy? Another key piece to this time in my life <coughs> excuse me, was every time I went to the doctor about anything, my fatness was always the reason for whatever was ailing me. I've always had abnormal menstrual cycles, and I was always told it was because I was fat. I was told that I was not a good candidate to be a mother because my menstrual cycles were abnormal and that I needed to lose weight to fix it. Well, like I said... I lost a substantial amount of weight, and lo and behold, there was a real medical condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome that was not only throwing off all of my hormones, it was preventing normal cycles and was actually an issue that causes weight gain. My fatness was the reason that no doctors would address my real and very painful menstrual issues from age 11 to 35. Today, I know how to advocate for myself at the doctor. Just a tip for anybody that goes to the doctor that is beautifully fat, the phrase, I want you to document in my chart that you are refusing medical care, goes a long way. (laughs) Unfortunately, because doctors can be so dehumanizing, many fat people choose not to go to the doctor at all and then end up in the hospital with very serious conditions.
3: I was 29 years old when I was ordained, 31 when I began my first solo ministry, 32 when I was called here to serve in Columbia. So there's some significant overlap between my ministerial formation and those years of of my growing body empowerment, as I think about it, that I described a few minutes ago. Years in which my physical appearance, my body, too frequently was given more direct attention than the substance of my professional work, especially on Sundays. Are you old enough to be a minister? (laughs) Paige, you know, I'm really distracted by that color lipstick. You look very ministerial in that outfit. Are you pregnant? I'm not sure I like your new haircut oh, you should wear that dress more often. In the earlier years, those comments weren't particularly noteworthy to me, because after all, a girl's or a woman's appearance is frequently a focus of conversation, so I was used to it. And I hadn't been around male peers very much as a student in a women's college and even in my professional life. But eventually I developed enough relationships with male colleagues to learn that they didn't receive nearly the level of scrutiny about their bodies and their appearance as I did and as other women colleagues did and that doesn't even begin to address the added scrutiny of women of color or who are fat or who are visibly disabled. Working along Anthony here in our congregation as our intern minister and then our assistant minister, that was enlightening, especially as I got to observe his growing awareness about all the things he did not have to think about, but that he saw me having to deal with and his seminary colleagues who were women. I was reminded during that time, yet again, not only that I need to embrace my own power and agency in these matters, but also that we need men to be invested in addressing the gender disparity of whatever nature. Every one of us has the responsibility if we're going to break the bias. Break the bias. Break the bias.
8: I went into ministerial search for the first time in 2017. That year, there were at least five congregations that put notes in their search packets that they did not want a minister who was overweight. What does my weight have to do with my ministry and my ability to serve? My search committee during the pre-candidating weekend asked me, do you have any health concerns that we should be aware of? I'm curious if your employer has asked you that and if they would have asked a male candidate the same question. Being a young woman in ministry, going all the way back to my internship, opened up to me all kinds of, opened me up for all kinds of critique, like older white male congregants calling me kiddo. My fat body has been subject to comments like, your legs look better when you wear heels. And yes, a white male congregant actually said this to me, your breasts look better in the dress you wore last week. At one of the congregations I served, in a very elite and privileged community, every time I met with any person individually, there was always a conversation about my health, which was coded language for being concerned about my fatness. Women in ministry have to deal with a number of things, including lower salaries than our male counterparts, Comments about our hair, our makeup, our nails, our clothing, our shoes. People even complain about the pitch of our voices. In reality, when they have been asked, our male colleagues, as Paige said, report they do not have to deal with questions and comments about their appearance or their bodies, and certainly do not have congregants complaining about the pitch of their voices. The reality of being a white woman in ministry is that we work 50% harder than our male counterparts to prove our worth. Also, I need to mention that women of color have to work that much harder. It is time to change the culture, and it begins with you so that we can break the bias. Break the bias.
3: We're going to pause before we close to invite you into a moment of sacrifice and generosity as we collect the offering of your financial gifts for the work of this congregation in the world. You may give electronically, following the instructions on the screen, or if you're here in the room, you may place cash or checks in the basket at the back. Thank you as your offerings are now voluntarily given and very gratefully received.
7: I
8: need you, you need me. We're all a part of one body. Stand with me, agree with me. We're all a part of one body. It is our will that every need be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. My loves, we need each other to survive. And the only way we can be in proper and right relationship with one another is to recognize and celebrate the humanity and beauty that lies within each of us as individuals. The International Women's Day asks us to imagine a gender-equal world a world free of bias and stereotypes and discrimination, a world that is diverse, equitable, and inclusive, a world where difference is valued and celebrated. Together, we can forge women's equality together, collectively, and we can all break break the bias. This means many things. This statement is about lifting up black women in our society. It is about listening to our trans siblings and fighting for their medical rights. It is about elevating our disabled siblings to a place of prominence and importance in this society. This movement is about embracing reproductive justice, which means looking at the whole picture of what it means to be a culture that honors individual choices with policies that truly honor them. Part of lifting women up to a place of equality and justice is about full and affordable access to sexuality education, It is about birth control and abortion so that we can be in charge of our bodies 100% of the time. It is about protection for women against rape and other sexual abuses. This movement is about supporting women who want to have children by paying them a living wage to give them the ability to live in safe and healthy neighborhoods. It is about a quality education for their children. International Women's Day is about the freedom for all, including our LGBTQ citizens, who have the right to openly love who they want to love without fear for their family's safety. It is about lifting up the words and deeds of black and brown neighbors. It is about listening to their stories, witnessing their lived experiences, and fighting to change the white supremacy culture that surrounds us and them every single day. It is about fat people wearing bikinis in public and feeling proud about showing off their incredibly powerful bodies. It is about each of us no longer using the word healthy as a weapon. So let me tell you about this body. My fat, beautiful body carries me through the world every single day, no matter how much I throw at it. This fat and sensitive stomach is a soft place for my dogs to snuggle. These fat and powerful legs support me while carrying my 40-pound backpacking pack on a trip through the Pocono, Appalachian, and Adirondack Mountains. This fat and understanding face is the perfect canvas for experimenting with makeup. And most importantly, these fat and strong arms allow me to embrace the ones I love. Sure. There was a time when I spent four hours per day and weighing myself twice a day. And when that one number wasn't one that I wanted, I was really mean to myself. And frankly, that's an exhausting way to live. If you are spending all of your life trying to find a diet that will work for you, or the meal replacement shake that actually fills you up, or the magical supplements that help you lose unwanted body fat, I am giving you permission to stop that. Your life was not made for spending all of your time paying bills and trying to lose weight. Instead, find some activity that you love that benefits your body with movement. After all, our bodies are made to move. And I mean this for everyone in this room who has any shape of any body. Take a walk outside, practice gratitude, find a hiking trail and explore nature, have a 10-minute dance party in your living room, as it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do something that makes you feel joy. Your body is a gift. And if you spend your life trying to change it, you will never be truly happy. Instead, spend your days celebrating your body for what it can do, Every morning when you wake up, tell your body that you love it and you appreciate everything that it does for you. Here's the thing. This sermon is about International Women's Day and it is about you. It is about each and every one of you in this room. It is about each of you with your beautiful and strong, powerful, courageous bodies. (coughs) This worship service is about you who will not go swimming because you are ashamed of your body. It is about you who won't go to the doctor because you feel ashamed of your weight. It is about you who has a grandmother who will not shut up about your body. It is about you who has a partner that thinks your body needs to change. It is about you who has never fully lived because you don't feel at home in your incredible, incredible body. My loves... Put the negative self-talk away, if only for a minute. And look at me, all of you. Your worth is not dependent on how much fat is on your body. And I am here to tell you that you, and you, and you are beautiful. Your body is whole and holy at whatever size, shape, or ability. So let us open our hearts and bodies to positive self-talk and love, and then extend that love to all of those you encounter, because I can guarantee they need it too. I pray for you, you pray for me. I love you, I need you to survive. I won't harm you with words from my mouth. I love you. I need you to survive. And as we move into our hymn, How Could Anyone in Your Teal Hymnal, probably also on the screen, I want to invite you to sing this hymn to each other. Find somebody, make eye contact with them, and sing a line and then find somebody else and sing another line. This song was meant to be sung to our Beloveds, and those Beloveds are here in this room right now.
6: Won't you join us?
3: Thank you. Thank you for the gift of your stories, your wisdom, and your power. Thank you. Our service is nearing its end, but we are going to take a few moments for our ritual of sharing joys and sorrows. I'm going to thank Chloe for being willing to help. During worship each week, we not only give voice to the personal joys and sorrows in our lives, but we also drop individual stones into a communal bowl of water to symbolize the ways that these personal stories ripple out and touch us all and are held in our embrace. For those of you that are here in the sanctuary, if you'd like to come forward in silence during the music meditation and honor your own joys and sorrows by placing a stone in the water, you may do that. And one more, Chloe, for all of the things that we are holding unspoken at this time, this is for you. Thank you. Will you join me for just a moment of prayer and reflection before our music meditation begins? Great and holy spirit of life, of love, may we know that we are beloved and beautiful, as is every one of our human siblings. And as we are held in that embrace of love and care, may we in turn offer it to others, bringing our courage, our power, our beauty, to bring justice and love and healing to this world. We know that there is much horror and violence and tragedy in Ukraine, around the world, even in our own backyards. We pray for peace for us all, and that we will have the courage to do our part to bring that peace to the world. Now let us share just a moment of stillness. Blessed be. Amen.
8: Won't you join with me in the spirit of prayer or meditation? Spirit of life and love, of goodness and joy, God and goddesses of all names, be with us as we move through this world in our powerful bodies and remind us that we are beautiful each and every day. Help us us to remember to reach out a hand to somebody each day and remind them that they, too, are beautiful in all of their body and their glory and their soul. Help us keep in mind that this world is hard. Living is not easy, and if we can just share compassion with one other person, it will make their life so much easier. Each Sunday, I end my benediction by telling my congregation, I love you and there is nothing you can do about it. And the same is true for you. I love you and there is nothing you can do about it. Blessed be, shalom and amen.
9: Hey girls, you are beautiful Diet Coke and a pizza please Diet Coke, I'm on my knees screaming Big girls, you are beautiful You take your skinny girl I feel like I'm gonna die Cause a real woman needs a real man Here's why You take your girl What's in my braces? Water in a hole with the girls around And curves and all the right places Big hey girls, you are beautiful